0: We're in Nehemiah chapter 8. If you want to follow along this evening, that would be wonderful. Um, let's pray together as we come to, to these, uh, these words. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know every one of us. You know exactly what is in our hearts and minds this evening. You know exactly how our lives are, how we're feeling, how we are before you. And we pray now as we come to this passage, you would show yourself to us. And we would leave here full of A greater knowledge of you, your love for us, and your plans for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you expect when you come to church and the sermon begins? What was going on in your mind during that last song, you know, when you knew that the next thing on the agenda was that um, we were going to hear the Word of God read and someone would come and preach? It might be that if, um, if you're quite new to church, the closest thing sort of in your experience is something like a lecture where you, you come and uh, receive information and you maybe expect to, to learn something. Um, maybe um, if you're like me and you've, you've been around the world of the church for quite a long time, you've got sort of quite familiar with the little dance that we do around the sermon, You know, where someone, you knew someone would come to the front and they would do something like this. Or maybe they'd even do something like this, which, um, by the way, that means nothing. Um, maybe you knew that the person would come and say something like, Hello, my name is Dan, I'm one of the ministers here, and I've got the pleasure of speaking this evening on Nehemiah chapter 8, which I am, and it is. And maybe you've already dug out a Bible, or you've dialed the passage up on your phone, or some of you maybe are sort of closing your eyes in a reverent-looking way, you're preparing for a snooze or something like that. Um, it may be that you're, you're coming tonight hoping that the Lord might speak to you about your life, what's happening to you right now. Um, it may be you come with a bit of worry that the Lord might speak to someone else, but maybe he won't have anything especially for me. And however you come this evening, however you have or haven't heard the Word of God before, this little passage of Scripture, Nehemiah 8, I think is a wonderful passage for us to be oriented and reoriented, and just to see what happens when the Word of God is proclaimed, when the Word of God is preached or read. We've been walking through this this book of Nehemiah and we've seen the people of Jerusalem returned from being captured and bundled off to Babylon. And they've come back to Jerusalem, their home. They're beginning to rebuild their city and repair the walls. And they've just finished rebuilding at this point where we come to. And just a few days after the building work is all done, in this chapter, they gather everyone together and they hear the word of God read. And it's worth seeing there in just verse 2, this happens on the first day, of the seventh month. And um, that's one of those little details that's really easy for us just to pass over. Maybe doesn't mean anything to us on the surface. But the seventh month is the beginning of the Hebrew year. So this is, is New Year's Day. That's, this is the moment this is happening. It's, it's a significant day, the first New Year's Day back home in Jerusalem. And they're making it their, their priority to hear the Word of God. And as the people gather here and we sort of follow what happens, I want to pick out three encouragements about hearing God and His Word. Three encouragements, truths from then that stand for us today Um, as we come to hear God, three encouragements for us. So, first up, hearing God is for everyone. Hearing God is for everyone. On this great New Year's Day, Nehemiah says in verse 1, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Thousands of people all coming together as if they were just one person. They're all in this one place here for this one thing. And it's not New Year's Eve sort of fireworks and expensive drinks. No, we're told verse 1, they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. That's what the people have asked for, the crowds want it. And Ezra just starts reading the book of Moses. And that is the, the first five books of the Old Testament. He just starts reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just reading it out. Look at verse 3. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. You thought you'd heard some long sermons. And there's no felt boards of Noah's Ark. There's no puppets or dramas from the youth group. There's no interviews on high bar stools. But look at verse 3 again. All the people listened attentively. This is what they're here for. There is a hunger, there's a desire that they would hear from God. And so they listen, and Ezra just keeps going. What could be more important, they think, than hearing from the Lord, gathered as one man, as it were, in this one place? And you might have noticed as Silas read the passage that something kept coming up was this focus on the people understanding the word they hear. It kept coming up. In verse 2, the assembly was men and women and all who were able to understand. Verse 3 says the same. Then verse 7 and 8, if you're following, you see others beside Ezra came and they started to instruct the people in the law while they were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So this understanding, the idea of understanding, is just being hammered home over and over again here. It's not just the reading of some sort of historic important text to sort of be religious. The teachers here wanted to make sure that the people really got it, and the people were really keen to stay and to hear it all and to understand. They wanted to make sure that nobody was left out of hearing from God, that everyone was able to grasp what was being said and apply it to themselves. No one was supposed to walk away, perhaps like people walk away from an Oxford University ceremony over in the Sheldonian when they say something in Latin. Has anyone ever been to one of those? They say something in Latin, and everyone leaves thinking, sort of official and important, but I have no idea what was said. This is the exact opposite of that. Everyone is supposed to hear and understand. Hearing from God in this way is for everyone. And it's why we gather in this place today. That's why we're here. It's why we take time in our services to read and unfold the word of God. It's why we have people in our church who are called and set aside to the ministry of preaching and teaching It's why we pray for every service beforehand. We pray for the congregation before every service that through the preaching of the word, God would bless and encourage and strengthen and equip all of us. When the word of God is proclaimed, God speaks to us all. He speaks to us all because it's for everyone as one man. And I just want to say this is really helpful for us in fighting off a really common lie that can just sneak into our heads sometimes. And that's this lie. So-and-so, my friend, seemed really touched by the sermon today. You know, they they were moved and they clearly felt really close to God, but I just didn't really feel anything. I wasn't particularly struck by anything. And so I, I guess God didn't have anything to say to me today. And that is never the case. That is never, ever the case. So I wanted to encourage you, when you hear that little whisper in your ear, God didn't have anything to say to me today. Remember Nehemiah chapter 8. When the word of God is read and proclaimed and opened up, God is speaking to everyone. And that means God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you. In scripture, in the preaching of the word, God is speaking to everyone. The second thing for us to see in this passage is that the word of God is from above. The word of God is from above. What do I mean by that? Well, we read in the passage, verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened the book, the people stood up. So Ezra... Is on this purpose built platform just to make sure that everyone can see and hear properly. It's a very practical thing in a way. In a similar way, here in church, you know, we've got a stage and we've got lighting and a, a PA system so that everyone can see and hear what we believe is the most important thing in our lives the Lord speaking to us. The word um, in Hebrew for this platform is actually. A tower. I quite like the picture of, a, of him climbing up a tower. Um, in old churches, in fact, once in this church, the pulpit was like a tower. It was a, a high wooden platform with steps leading up which the preacher would have to climb and stand and It would be high up. And those of you who are sitting near the front would probably be sort of having to crane your necks a bit to, to see properly. All of this is picking up something about the word of God coming to us from above us. People can see something of where Ezra's words are coming from. He's got, he's got the book open right above them. Um, they know that these aren't just Ezra's words, but they're God's words coming from Ezra's mouth. They know the, the source of what he's saying. Whoever happens to be reading or preaching is it's almost irrelevant. The person reading or preaching is a herald, a messenger of God who is above it all, God who is king of kings and lord of lords on high but this word comes with his authority from above, with his power, his truth his perfection yes there's a person speaking, a weak sinful person speaking but the actual content and substance of of what we have here in the word of God is, is his it's not just some human being's words but his word So generally, it's a really good sign to see a preacher like Ezra approach the pulpit with a Bible in hand. Because we know, don't we, We, on a Sunday, we don't need to hear from a a life coach. We don't need to hear from a a kind of how-to-be-a-good-person drill sergeant. We don't need to hear from a, a sort of spiritual guru. Week by week, don't we, we need to hear God speak to us. We need the author of life and the one who loves us and knows us and made us and who's promised us our future. We need him to speak into our lives and address us and show himself to us. That's what we're here for. And so as John Calvin, theologian of the 16th century, put it, when a man has climbed up into the pulpit, it is so that God may speak to us by the mouth of a man. That is a mysterious and powerful thing. I'm almost, I'm almost shaking as I say that, standing in the pulpit. How is that possible? So much as there's this focus on understanding in this passage, this is not a lecture for education. This is not just some teaching. This is a higher thing. It's about hearing from God himself in the words he has spoken. And so just as the people did on that day, we have done today, we stand to hear the word of God. We stand. It's like as the word comes down, we're rising to meet it. It's a sign of our hunger, it's a sign of our respect, it's a sign of our desire that we would hear from the Lord. In our very posture, we demonstrate, I'm standing up, I want to receive, Lord, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Because... In the word of God and in the preaching of the word of God, the the living God is speaking to us. And so however it is you come to sermons, I encourage you to take them seriously. Take them seriously, not because of who's on the stage, but because of who is really speaking. I need to confess that I don't know how many times in a sermon I've been technically using my phone as my bible and you know absentmindedly check my emails and how many times I've thought about how, how I would climb up you know the walls if I could do that how could I climb up and get into you know the, the, the beams in the roof and all those sorts of things it's so easily done isn't it I'll sit there beginning, beginning that inward conversation we all have, do I go to McDonald's after church or not I think I, think I will yeah, which always that's always how it ends isn't it so often that's what's happening in sermons and man I think if I really knew and believed what was happening in a sermon I'd be like this crowd in Jerusalem attentive standing on my tiptoes I want to hear from God the living God I want to hear him speak all this, um, all this talk of God speaking from above and his authority his power it's possible that might maybe sound a bit negative to you I think we're increasingly a bit suspicious of people claiming authority and power. But I want to say, and from the rest of this passage I want us to to see that with the Lord, his authority and his word coming from above, it is always a gracious and kind thing. With God, authority is always gracious and kind. Unlike human authorities we might know, the Lord is not about asserting himself, but sharing himself. It's not about him stamping on us from above, but about him giving himself to us. That's what it means for him to speak to us from above. Think of James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Mark read at the beginning of the service from Isaiah 55. Later in that passage, the Lord says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is that a way of God saying, I'm great, I have authority, and you don't? No, it isn't. Next verse, the Lord says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. This word from above is about God giving life graciously stooping, reaching down to us, like the rain and the snow coming down from heaven to make the world fruitful. The Lord speaks to us to make us fruitful, to make us flourish, to give us life. I don't think it's a coincidence that this scene in Nehemiah 8, the people gather where? The water gate. Water gate, living water flowing. There's a really important passage in John chapter 5, where Jesus criticizes the religious leaders of his day. And he says to them this, a really challenging thing. You diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. That tells us something hugely important. The purpose of the Bible, the purpose of preaching, is to get you and me to come to Jesus that we would have life. That is water from heaven that's going to nourish us and give us life to come to Jesus he is the one who has come down from heaven isn't he he's the one who's come from the Father to give us life in all its fullness to make us flourish he came to show us his Father to teach and to heal and forgive sins he, he came to give up his life for us on the cross to give us this life and you know on every page of scripture Every passage of the Bible, the Holy Spirit has given us all of it that we might find and meet Jesus Christ and have life in him. That's what it's all for. That's why the Lord speaks down from heaven to us, to give us himself and this very life in his son. Some of you might have heard before the words that were spoken to the queen as part of her coronation service. As part of that service, the Queen is presented with a Bible and told this. Our gracious Queen, to keep Your Majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God, as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book The most valuable thing this world affords. The most valuable thing this world affords. The Word of God about the Son of God, that we would have life in Him. The third and final thing, briefly, we've begun to see this already. The Word of God is for your good. The word of God is for your good. You might have noticed as we heard the reading that the, the reaction of the crowd that day in Jerusalem is a bit odd, which is they burst into tears. They were weeping and crying, and they were pretty upset. I'm sure you felt like weeping in some sermons. I, I guess for the crowd on that day, there was a real mixed bag of emotions. Um, they were a ragtag bunch of survivors who'd come back to their homeland They'd not heard these things together in this way for a long, long time. No doubt they had neglected the word of God. They'd probably feared and doubted God. They'd neglected keeping his commandments. And maybe they'd lost hope that Jesus, the promised Messiah, was coming at all. And so on this New Year's Day, as it all comes back, the tears begin to flow. And they're sad and weeping and mourning. But the leaders step in and they say, don't mourn or weep, don't cry. Nehemiah says, in fact, do the opposite. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength." and so the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them what else can he say to that it's a party when the people meet the lord in his word It's, it's a celebration this is what happens when god speaks to us there's worship there's the end of grieving There's feasting and celebrating. There's sharing good things with each other because the people understood. They understood these words. The Lord had revealed himself to them and so mourning and crying is over. Great rejoicing comes from true understanding. Great rejoicing comes from true understanding. I remember the first time this happened for me. Um, I was maybe 10 or 11 years old and I'd been brought up to try and read the Bible and do quiet times every day. And I knew that it was meant to be good for me and I'd you know, try and read a bit but I'd struggle really with the discipline of just keeping reading the Bible and trying to hack through certain books. You know, some are harder than others, aren't they? And I remember one Saturday morning I just wandered into my parents' bedroom and picked up my mum's Bible and just flicked open to the book of Philippians in the New Testament and I just began reading at the beginning and for, for, on that day, just sort of out of nowhere, something just captured me. Philippians chapter 1. The, the, the joy, the confidence of Paul in that beginning of that letter. I couldn't stop reading and it was, it was something that had never really happened to me before. And it, it seemed to cut through all of the, the sort of guilt and awkwardness I'd had before about trying to read the Bible. I suddenly felt like Oh, forget the reading plan, I, I just like this, this is good I, I felt something alive there and a few years later, I, it was really lovely for me that was the first Bible passage I ever got to preach on was that passage hearing from God in his word, meeting and understanding him, it, it sends us out drying our eyes, freeing us from guilt and shame and awkwardness, stopping our mourning and. Helping us to feast and celebrate and enjoy and worship and bless other people. Why? That wonderful verse, verse 10 the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not just a cheesy phrase to write in a card. The joy of the Lord. God is, He's so full of joy and kindness and blessing and goodness that he he just continually overflows he's so full of it he just keeps bubbling over communicating with us revealing himself to us and as he does that in his word it fills us with strength where we've been grieving and upset we've been guilty we've been struggling the joy of the lord comes to us and gives us his strength and isn't it true in your experience when you've heard about jesus when you've heard about his love for you, when you've pondered his cross, when you've thought about the promises he's made to you for the future, you just begin to feel your heart warming up. Where you've been a bit cold and dry, life just begins to come. When you know what the living God has said to you and what he's promised to you, all that stuff in your head just begins to come into perspective again and Monday morning maybe just looks a bit less threatening and troubling because God has spoken. You know him. And so week in, week out, we need to hear this word of Christ coming down from heaven to give us strength. Jesus said, remember, we we can't only live on food. Man cannot live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so as we come to a close I want to encourage you as you open the scriptures be confident that God is speaking in it speaking to you every time when you come to sermons sit there expecting God to speak to you every time if you stick a sermon on while you're washing up if a friend takes you a verse from the Bible, if you're singing scriptural song lyrics, the Lord is showing himself to you, speaking to you. I think many people here today perhaps have had anxiety about how to hear from God. I think I've experienced that before. I know I used to worry a lot about how much other people around me seem to be hearing from God, you know, with words of knowledge and so on, this sort of idea of direct communication. And I'd wondered before, is God silent with me? You know, is he, is, Does He not talk to me like that? Is He a bit off with me, perhaps? Has He maybe just not got anything to say to me? And I've learned that that is never, ever the case. It is never the case. You are not being left out from God speaking. Words of knowledge aren't constant for many of us. For many of us, they're not even frequent. But where God has spoken and does speak and will always speak is in the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit, absolutely solid and unchanging. And it's always holding out to you the life of Jesus Christ, that you would live in it and find life in him. So let me encourage you to stand. We're we're going to sing and worship the Lord together. The word of the Lord is for everyone, and that means it's for you. The word of the Lord comes down from above in wonderful grace, and it is for your good, your strength, your life, your enjoyment of God. So as we worship now, I want you to just welcome into your hearts, your mind, just that, just those, those truths, that thought. The Lord is for me. He wants to speak to me and he is speaking to me in his word and he's giving me life. That's not really a call for you to come forward and have lots of stuff to sort out even. Just to accept that he is good and he is good to me.